Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Today, as you're having a seat, get your Bibles out and go with me to Acts chapter number 10. This is the story of us. If you remember, we've been going through the book of Acts and talking about how this is not just a history lesson, but this is something that God wants for each and every one of our lives. And we're in Acts chapter number 10, verse number 1, and we're going to read down through verse number 8. Very significant chapter in the Bible, very significant story that relates to our lives. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse number 1, says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Let's stop right there for a second and explain a little bit about this man that we're getting ready to meet today. This man Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was a centurion. That means that he had 100 men under his authority. You say, well, that's not that much. You know, what about the guy that leads the thousands or leads the whole army, all the millions of people that might be coming? But maybe you don't understand leadership structures because in leadership, the less people that you have direct report to, the higher up you are in the organization. In other words, the top generals only deal with the captains and the leaders of the army, and then they go out and they lead the thousands and they lead the hundreds and that sort of a thing. So this man leading 100 men was an elite soldier. He was a leader of leaders. And this guy leading this soldier's group called the Italian Regiment meant that they were uh, famous, if you will. Now, remember, Rome is the capital of what nation? I know, I know you didn't come to church for a geography lesson today, but anybody remember what nation? It's, it's what? It's Italy, right? Okay, so he is the leader of the Italian regiment. That meant he was notable. That meant that he was famous. These guys are not the ones of the Galatian regiment or of the Corinthian regiment or of the Asian regiment or any of those other places he could have been. No, this was the pride. This was the stock of Italy. This was the cream of the crop, if you will, of the army. It'd be like somebody being the leader of the Navy SEALs or somebody who is the leader of the Green Berets. And and we have that national U.S. pride that goes on. They had that same pride in that day. So this is a leader, this is an elite soldier who led other men. Let's look at what verse number two describes him as. Verse number two, it says, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now that's kind of an unlikely description. We just read that this man is a soldier. This man is a leader. This man is elite. This guy, we would have thought, would have been ruthless. We thought he would have been proud. We thought he would have been any other thing other than God-fearing, devout, and a generous man who prayed to God always. And yet, look at this man's heart. Look at this man's life. Verse number three, at about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, verse four, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Verse five, now send men to Joppa. And sent for Simon, whose surname is Peter, verse 6. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Now, I find it very interesting that the angel tells Cornelius, I want you to go and I want you to get a hold of Peter because he's going to tell you what you must do. And we read on in the story, we know that Peter preaches the gospel to him. See, God has not assigned the angels to preach the gospel. He's assigned that privilege to the church. No angel will come and will preach the gospel. No angel will come and will do the work of evangelism or the work of the ministry. God wants his body to do that. Jesus gave that command and that charge to the church, and that's why the angel had to go and tell Cornelius to go and get Peter so that Peter could come and Peter could preach the gospel to this man. It goes on in the next verse, verse number 7. 
It says, and when the angel that spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Verse number eight, so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The specific title of today's message is Two Servants and a Soldier. Two Servants and a Soldier. See, there were things about Cornelius that captured the eye of God. So much so that God sent an angel to him in a vision. And as we will see next week, that God chose this man Cornelius to be the first household and the ones to start the Gentile church. Now, that may not sound very significant to you. It might sound like, oh, cool, they started the Gentile church. That's neat. What is that, right? And yet, to the Jewish mind, to the Jewish people, they understand exactly why this is significant. Because remember, when Jesus came, it says that he came for the lost sheep of Israel. And the Jews would understand this concept because throughout their lifetime, they had a very elite mentality. They had an exclusive mentality in the sense that these were the ones who were given the covenants. Their fathers were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, men of renown, notable men. They had a national pride. They were not to intermarry with the nations around them. And so they had this very exclusive mentality that said, us for no more, right? It's all about the Jewish people because through us is going to come the Messiah, the Savior, the ruler, the king. And so they prided themselves in that, and they had this nationality and this national pride. And in that, it was the Jews, and then it was everyone else. They called them the Gentiles. In other words, it was us and all y'all. There may have been Africans, there may have been Asians, there may have been Europeans, there may have been South Americans, whatever other, uh, you know, native peoples of the land, that sort of a thing. But to them, it wasn't, you know, this nation and that nation and this nation and that. No, it was either Jew or Gentile. It was either us or them. And so it's very significant because the Jews in their pride, in their national pride, did not quite understand what God was saying in the Old Testament when he said, I will call a people who are not a people my own people. And that the Gentiles have seen a great light. And that the Gentiles would be grafted in, that they would come into this covenant relationship with Almighty God and that all the promises of God would be to them, yes, and would be to them, amen. See, Jesus gave the charge to his disciples that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was a Jewish city, right? That was the capital of Judea. That's where they get the name Jew from, the Jews of Judea, right? Of Samaria. Samaria, well, they're, they're half-breeds. They're, they still got Jew in them. We'll accept that. But then he said to the uttermost ends of the earth, God wanted a Gentile church. God didn't just want the Jews saved. He wanted all of the people saved. That's why the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. This man Cornelius caught the eye of God so much so that he was going to be the first fruits of the Gentile people. No longer for the Jew only, but now for the Gentile, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ goes beyond the walls of Jerusalem and now goes out into the earth. And now because of that, you and I can sit in a church service today because of this man, Cornelius, and what God chose to break out into the earth through his life. Wow, what a significant man. What a significant story in the Bible. Remember, this is the story of us, though, because God is doing something in our day and age, and I believe that just like Cornelius employed two servants and a soldier, that in our lives we need to do the same thing. Who were these servants? Who was this soldier? Well, the Bible doesn't name them, but maybe today, if you'll allow me some poetic license, maybe we can see from the Word of God who these servants were 
and who this soldier was. Anybody want to know their names? Anybody want to know who they are? I believe that we can answer that question today. The first one, let's start with the servants, right? There were two servants that he brought together to go and send to Peter and to go and get the help that he needed. Who were the servants? First one, I believe, is this. The first servant is the heart. We can see that in that Cornelius was a God-fearing man and a devout man. He employed the heart. Heard the story of a young man who was going to propose to his girl, and so he brought her down to the lakeside. They were taking a walk, and he had the ring in his pocket, and he's, oh, he's just nervous, and, you know, he's there. And finally, the sun's getting ready to set. The clouds are changing colors. The waves are slowly lapping on the shore there, and he takes her to the edge of the dock. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's picturesque. It's quiet. It's calm. And he gets down on one knee, and he looks up at his girl, and he says, you know, I love you so much. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I know I don't have a house on the hill or a Rolls Royce or a private yacht like Johnny Green does, but you know what? If you'll allow me to, I'll give you the best life I possibly can, and I'll love you for our whole lives together. Would would you give me an answer? She says, I'll give you an answer. But first, tell me more about this Johnny Green. (laughs) See, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he said that all of the deeds that proceed forth from our lives will come out of our heart, that the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. But if you're a bad person, if you've got a bad heart, bad apples, right? The bad tree will bring forth bad fruit. And so it's very important that we watch after our heart. We see that Cornelius, his heart was something that he employed. It served him well. This man, even though he was a part of the Italian regiment, even though he was this elite man, this soldier, he could have been lifted up in pride, but rather he had a devout heart. Now, we don't use that word too often, the very devout person. We think of them as pious. We think of them as religious maybe, right? They're devout. I get that, and I, I think that those are uh, good terms, but not the, maybe the best term for what this really is all about. Can, can I put it to you like this? What does it mean that he was a devout man? I believe that it means that he was devoted. Isn't that a great word? That he had a deep devotion to God, that his heart was set on God, and that out of that devotion, the literal translation of the word devout literally means to worship well. You know, when you're worshiping God well, it means you're worshiping God the way that He wants to be worshiped, not just a song that's sung, right? Anyone can sing a song, but can you worship God in song? Not just in a deed or an act, but can you worship God with your deeds and with your acts? See, when your life is laid down before God in sacrificial obedience, everything that you do, every part of your life, if you devote it to God, if you give it to God and you lay down your way and you take up His way, then you will be worshiping God well because you're worshiping God the way that He wants to be worshiped. Many times people say, well, my heart's just not in it. I don't have that type of a heart. Well, listen, that's because you're allowing your heart to tell you what to do rather than you telling your heart what to do. See, because your heart should be serving you well. It should be employed by you. See, you don't let yourself. See, people oftentimes, well, it felt good, so I did it. I, I, I like that, so I went after it. I was hungry in the middle of the night, so I sat down and I ate the entire chocolate cake. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, right? See, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Well, it felt good, so I went after it, and, and you know, they, 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 they used to be cool with me, and so I just, you know, we go out and hang out and have a good time, you know? This is how we used to do. This is what we used to do. 
This is the way that used to happen. You know, I used to just relax with a bottle. I used to relax with a smoke. I used to get in those things past. Can we talk? Is that all right today? Y'all get a little bit quiet on me, right? I didn't know what you were doing last night. I wasn't in the room. God didn't have me bug your building or anything like that, all right? I don't know, but God knows. But here's the deal. We often allow our flesh to lead us rather than allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. Do you know that when you got born again, that your spirit man was born again? It wasn't the outer you. It was the inner you. And your spirit becomes one with God's spirit at that moment. You now have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. Where does he live? He lives in your heart. Not the thing pumping blood throughout your body. They call that the heart. But the heart is the deepest place of who you are. It's the spiritual seat of your soul and your spirit. It's the inner place. And when your soul and your spirit connect and listen to the voice of God, then you will be walking in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of flesh because you'll have a good heart that precedes good things, right? But when your soul, the way you think, your mind, your will, and your emotions link up with your body, ooh, that looks good, that feels good, that tastes good, I like it, I want it, right? Now all of a sudden you're going to be walking in the flesh and you're not going to be doing the things that God has called you to do. We need to get this servant, our heart, set to do what God has called us to do. Don't let your feelings, your emotions, your body especially tell you what to do. You get your heart in line with the things of God and you let your heart be that servant. See, we need to fear God in all of our lives and in every way of our life just like Cornelius did. What does that mean to fear God? Does it mean that we need to be afraid of God? Well, yes, in some senses, but really in the larger sense of the word, the word fearing God means to be in awe of God. It means that we are in reverence of God, that we tremble at his word. What does that mean? That means that when God speaks, we're ready to act on it, that we are to respect God or in the sense that we talked about before, to be afraid of God. You know, Jesus said, don't fear a man who can kill your body. Fear God who can both kill your body and then cast your soul into hell. Listen, I am afraid of God, right? Remember when my dad used to rush into the room where my brother and I were messing around, he'd say, what's going on in here, Right? We feared our dad. We had a respect for dad. You know, he's using that John Wayne voice. Oh, my goodness. What's going on? My dad used to grit his teeth. And I used to go, ooh, I know dad's mad. Why? Because he's gritting his teeth. In the same way, we can see from God's word what God is pleased with and what God is not pleased with. And you don't want God using the John Wayne voice or gritting his teeth, do you? Oh, no. Why? Because we fear God. We respect him and we tremble at his word. We have an awe and a reverence. You ever stepped up to nature and took a look at something and just got overwhelmed with the beauty and the presence of it? And all of a sudden, your mind switched over and you said, God made that. And all of a sudden, you had this awe and this reverence and this respect, not of the creation, but of the creator, right? You ever had a moment where you were in the presence of a, uh, you know, maybe a political person or somebody with some sway, maybe it was a celebrity or someone famous, maybe it was a sports figure or something like that, and they had all this influence and they had this presence about them, and when they spoke, people were leaning in and listening, and you got caught up in that for a moment, and then all of a sudden you realize, but God is greater than them. God put them in that position. They wouldn't have anything. They wouldn't have the breath in their lungs if it wasn't for God. And all of a sudden, your respect and your awe of God became greater. See, that what, that's what it means to fear God. We don't fear man. We don't fear those things that are on the earth. We don't even fear the devil, right? We fear Almighty God because God is greater than all of it. Deuteronomy chapter number 10, verse number 12, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. He's getting ready to send them across into the promised land. He can't make it to the promised land because Moses didn't tremble at God's word. He overstepped his boundaries. He was supposed to speak to a rock, and yet he struck the rock. 
And this was a picture of Jesus because Moses had already done that long ago when God told him to strike the rock. And so now he comes and he's angry with the people. And instead of speaking to the rock like God says, he strikes the rock like he did before. And this was a picture of Jesus. Jesus only died once for our sins. And therefore, the picture of Jesus was messed up when Moses overstepped his authority and didn't do what God had told him to do and didn't walk in that fear of the Lord like he should have at that moment. And so God said, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. You're not going to lead the children of Israel in. But Joshua, your servant, will do that for you. So here Moses is, and he's preaching sermons to the nation of Israel. There are three sermons that are uh, contained in the book of Deuteronomy. And I just want to read a piece of Deuteronomy chapter number 10. We're going to read verse number 12. Listen to what Moses is giving to the people. He's speaking to them his last words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 12. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Notice This is a requirement from God. This is what God expects out of our life. Oftentimes people say, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Here it is right here. Are you ready for this? What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to be in reverence and respect and awe, to tremble at his word and be afraid of crossing him, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your, what's that word right there? Well, come on, some, some, this side shouted. I wonder if this side can shout a little bit louder. With all your what? Come on online. Why don't you type it in the comments section right now? Or put a heart emoji, whatever your favorite color heart is. Put that there in the comments section right now. With all of your what? With all your heart and with all your soul. I want you to notice that spiritual place, that seat of your conscience, your spirit right there. You let that serve you well, just like Cornelius did. Second service servant that we see, not only the heart, but the second one that I see is generosity. Generosity was the second servant that I believe that Cornelius sent to go and get Peter. Heard the story of a man who had a heart attack. He was there in the hospital recovering, and his wife was outside the room with the doctor asking what they could do to make sure that he was healthy. And the doctor said, he's going to be just fine. He's going to be okay. But listen, he can't have any excitement. He can't have any surprises. He can't have anything shocking. You know, he doesn't need to have anything that, that you know, gets his heart rate up. You really need to watch him, okay? And so for, for a period of time, just make sure that there's no surprises. She says, okay, I can do that. So she takes him home, gets him seated in bed, and gets him all set up, goes to the store, picks up some items from the store, making sure that they've got groceries in the house. And on her way home, she needs to get some gas. So she goes to the convenience store, gets gas, and while she's there, she gets a little thirsty. She goes inside, gets a bottle of water, and on her way out at the register, she decides, you know what? I'm going to pick up a lottery ticket. She purchases a lottery ticket, takes it home with her that night. Her husband's resting in the room. She's outside of the room watching television, and the numbers come up on the television that night. And to her shock and her amazement, every number that they call is the number on her ticket. She's beside herself. She's just won $4 million. Oh, my goodness, $4 million. This is wonderful. I'm going to tell my husband. Wait a second. I can't tell him. He'll be shocked. He'll be excited. His heart will race. I don't want to throw him into another heart attack. What do I do? He needs to know, but I can't tell him. So she decides to seek some spiritual counsel. She calls up the pastor and says, can you come to the house? And the pastor said, I'll be right there. He comes in and she says, you know, my husband had a heart attack. He says, I know, we've been praying for him. She says, but I've got news to tell him that he needs to hear. He says, well, why don't you tell him? She says, because if he gets excited, if he gets shocked, if he has his heart raised, then he could have another heart attack. And he says, well, I don't know what to tell you. What's the news? And she says, well, we just won the lottery. 
We won $4 million. She says, that's wonderful. And you're right, he needs to know, but I, I don't know what to do. She says, well, I've got an idea. Why don't you tell him? He says, what do you think? Uh, you know, why would I tell him? She says, well, you know, you're, you're good in high-pressure situations. You're the pastor. You're like a professional talker. I, I'm sure you can figure it out. So the pastor reluctantly agrees. He goes into the room. He sits at the foot of the bed with the husband there. And he says, well, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm doing fine. I'll be just fine. I'm okay. A little pain, you know, a little concerning. But you know what? I'm going to be good. It's all right. Pastor says, well, have you heard anything that's going on around? And he says, no, not really. He says, I heard someone just won $4 million in the lottery. The husband says, oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's really good for them. He says, hey, what would you do if you won $4 million in the lottery? And the man says, Oh, I don't know what I'd do. That's a lot of money. Four million dollars. I mean, I don't need that much money. I'd probably give two million of that to the church. Right then the pastor had a heart attack. <laughs> See, Cornelius had a servant. He had a servant of his heart, and out of that heart came his good deeds. One of those good deeds was generosity that came out of his life. It was out of a good heart that Cornelius gave. Remember this man, as an Italian in a Jewish area, could have despised the people. He could have kept them under his rule. He could have lorded over them, and yet he didn't. He decided to give to them. As a centurion who was a part of the elite society, he could have lived large. He could have lived high on the hog, right? He could have kept what he had for himself like a lot of people today that get all they can, put it in a can, sit on a can until they kick the can. See, Cornelius could have just stored up and whoever dies with the most toys wins. He could have had that mentality, and yet he did not have that mentality. He decided to be generous and to give alms to the people. And this is also one of the things that came up before God as a memorial. Remember, his, his giving and his prayers came up before God. God remembered the fact that he was generous. Just like Tabitha, you remember last week, Dorcas, right? She's got all these widows holding up the garments, the good deeds that she had done while she was with them. In the same way before Almighty God, this generosity came up before God as a memorial. And because of it, God sent the help that Cornelius needed. See, the book of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and verse 25, if you'd like to turn there in whatever translation you have, you're welcome to. I'm going to read this to you in the message paraphrase. I love the way that they paraphrase Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and verse number 25. If you're online on our Rock Church live stream, we do have the notes section and we have the Bible section that you can look up these verses and read along with us as well. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25 in the message paraphrase says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. See, that doesn't make any sense to our economy, does it? If I give, then I won't have. If I give away, then I'm depleting, and my world should be getting smaller and smaller as I give away more and more. And yet in God's economy, God flips everything on its head, doesn't he? He says, if you will be generous, if you will give, then you are sowing a seed. And whatsoever you sow, you shall also reap. So in God's economy, God says the one who is generous, the one who is open, the one who from a good heart lends and who gives and who blesses and who's living a life that lavishes on others, God says that life will grow. It will get larger and larger. Think about this in the case of Cornelius. Cornelius didn't just stay to his house. He didn't just stay to the centurions. 
He didn't just stay to the Italians or the Romans. No, he enlarged his life to include the Jews, to include the poor, to include the down and out, the needy and the helpless. His life expanded into other areas. That's why the world of the generous gets larger and larger. One translation says, he who waters will himself be watered. He's going to get more and more. There's going to be growth in his life because of his generosity. Look at the next verse, verse number 25. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. Do you know Cornelius needed help? You say, this man needed help. Why did he need help? He was a centurion. He had military might. He had wealth. He had everything he needed. Yes, he did, except he didn't have Jesus Christ, and he needed help. That's why God sent an angel, and the angel wasn't his help. No, he needed Peter. He needed a Christian to come into his life and to preach the gospel to him so that he couldn't just have what he needed here on the earth. No, he could have the greatest help he could ever have. He could have the Spirit of God poured out on his life, and at the end of it all, he could be with Jesus for eternity. And when Cornelius, when his life was remembered before God, not only his prayers, but his giving came up as a memorial. And God said, this guy needs help. He needs Jesus. And he sent him the help that he needed all because of his generosity. I wonder if we're employing this servant in our life. I wonder if we're living a small life that's shrinking and getting smaller and smaller, or are we allowing our lives to open up to all that God has and including others, including the poor, including the needy, the hurting, and the broken, and allowing our lives to get larger and larger. And whatever you sow, you shall also reap. Whatever you help others with, you will be helped with. Is anybody listening today? Last one for us today is this. We found out who the two servants were. We still have this soldier to deal with, don't we? So we know that the servants were the heart and generosity. These two can serve us well, but what about the soldier? What about the protector? What about the warrior? What about the one who's going to make sure that things happen? Well, I believe that the soldier's name is prayer. There was a new fire chief in a town, small town. Everybody knew each other, and so the fire chief didn't have time to get to know everybody yet. His first day on the job, he's sitting there in the station, and all of a sudden the phone starts to ring. He runs over, and he picks up the phone, and he says, fire department. And they said, send the fire truck. There's a fire. And they hung up. And he thought, that's weird. How am I going to know where to send it? I don't know everybody. I don't know who that was. I don't know where they send the fire truck. I hope they call back. And sure enough, while he was thinking about those things, all of a sudden, when you know, the phone rang. And so he picks up the phone. He says, fire department. They said, hey, there's a fire. Send the fire truck. And he goes, ah, and he's getting ready to say, who are you? Where are you, where are you at? Where's the fire? And they hang up again. So he hangs up the phone, and he's thinking about it. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll go outside, and I'll look on the horizon and see if I can see any smoke, and I'll just send the fire truck there. So he goes outside, and he's looking around. He's looking all over, and he doesn't see any cloud of smoke anywhere. And he's thinking, what am I going to do? Ah, if they call back, I'm going to ask them where's the fire at. While he's outside looking for that smoke, all of a sudden the phone starts to ring again. So he runs inside. He grabs the phone. He picks it up, and he says, where's the fire? And they shout it back, in the kitchen, and they hung up. See, many times in our life, we don't use prayer as a warrior. We don't use prayer as it should be used. We use prayer as a last resort. God, there's a fire. God says, mm-hmm, I know. God, the fire's in the kitchen. He goes, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you want? What do you want to do? Or how about this? What does God want you to do? 
See, because prayer is not just talking at God. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is communication. Prayer is a two-way conversation. Prayer is when you talk to God about your life, and then you stop and you listen while God responds and tells you about his life and about what he wants to do in your life together with him. Come on. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a warrior. Prayer is a soldier. You ever heard of a prayer warrior? We got many of them in this room, many of them here at the church. BC and Kiki are some of our prayer warriors. Bob and Marilyn are some of our prayer warriors. My goodness, after church, if you want to get prayer, head on to the right side of this, the foyer there. They'll be there to pray, to speak the word of God, to stand as sentries over your life and to believe God with you. My goodness, we need prayer warriors. You say, well, I can't be a prayer warrior. Sure you can. Here's how. Open your mouth and pray. Just talk to God about your life. But I'm embarrassed about my life, Pastor. Listen, God's not embarrassed. He's not in therapy over your issues. God's not sitting there popping Prozacs and wondering what he's going to do. Can I get a Xanax? Can I get a drink? You know, God's not looking at your life, wringing his hair out of his head, saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. Listen, God knows. God understands. And God will take care of your life. Don't let anything distract you right now. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. That foul spirit needs to be quiet in this church. You cannot talk. God wants us to pray. All you have to do is open your mouth because your prayers are powerful. Let me prove this to you. In the book of Ephesians, we find the spiritual armor of God, right? And God says he wants us to be strong in him, that he wants us to take our stand in the evil day. Don't you know we need to stand up in this day, this evil day? There's a lot of stuff going on that are contrary to the ways of God. And in our land and in our time, we need the people who don't just sit back and cry, bawl and squall and bellyache, oh, what's going on? What's happening? Why is this going on? No, God says, I want you to stand up. God says, I want you to get your armor on, swords up, shields out. Get your helmet on. Get your breastplate on. I want you to have that belt holding you together of truth. I want you to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then in verse number 18, what does God say? He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. I like how it says it in the Amplified Classic. In the Amplified Classic, Ephesians 6.18 says this, pray at all times, on every occasion, and in every season in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. Pastor, I thought there was just one kind of prayer, just talking with God. No, listen, there's prayers of supplication, there's prayers of thanksgiving, there's prayers of intercession, there's the prayer of agreement, there's the prayer of faith, there's the prayer in the Spirit, there's the prayer with understanding, right? There's all kinds of prayer that you see in the Bible. There's even a groaning prayer that the Bible says in the book of Romans that you may not even have the words to say, but all you've got is a heart, and all you've got is a groan, and all you've got is a mmm, and all you've got is a oh, and all you've got is a Jesus, all you've got is a mmm, God, and if that's all you got, the Holy Spirit will take that, and he will turn that into a prayer on your behalf. So he says, in all manner of prayer and entreaty, to that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. We need to pray for one another. And I love the terminology of that last sentence. Notice it's like a soldier. This is talking about the soldier of prayer. To that end, listen to this. These are soldier terms, right? These are army terms. Keep alert. Watch. I think about soldiers having the night watch, standing ready on alert. Look at this. With strong purpose and perseverance. Interceding. Interceding is getting in the middle of something. 
When there's a conflict, when there's something happening, God says, I'm looking for a man or a woman to stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the land. God says the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth to see whose heart is loyal and devoted to him. God wants to use you as a prayer warrior. You know, you may not be able to call our governor. You may not be able to talk to the president. You might not be able to get involved in those things in that manner. You might not be able to talk to the leader of that organization and ask them the question. But listen, you can talk to God about it. You can get into the throne room of heaven and you can move things on the earth with your prayers. And a lot of people never send the soldier out. They just sit quietly wondering why things are happening. Too many people are sitting around crying about what they don't have. Too many people are sitting around crying about what's happening to them. And yet you have two servants and a soldier available to you that you can send out and get the help that you need. And that soldier, listen to this, listen, that soldier will watch over those two servants. Think about that. If you will pray, your prayers will watch over your heart. If you pray, then your prayers will watch out for your generosity. Oftentimes, people don't want to give because they say, I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to give to somebody that's going to go use it for alcohol or drugs. I don't want to give to the wrong thing. I don't want to be used or abused by my brother. Listen, if you pray, God will speak to you. Go ahead and give. Or God will tell you, don't give. God will tell you to be generous. Or God will say, hey, so in a different area. That's not for you. God will watch over the investments of your generosity. See, that's why the soldier is so important because your prayers will guard you from being carnal and fleshy. Your prayers will guard your heart from going in the wrong direction and leading your life down the tube. Your prayers will move on your behalf. We need to send the soldier out. We need to send the servants out and they will serve you well. Get those two servants and a soldier. Get the right heart that fears God. Be generous with your life and start to pray. And then not only will you have the attention of God, but he will make things happen on your behalf. Can anybody say amen here live and online? In God good. Why don't we do this? Let's take a moment and let's send the soldier out right now. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And as we do oftentimes in our church service, I want you to pray. I want you to send the soldier out. And why don't you pray and ask God this question, God, what are you speaking to me? Go ahead, come on online. Remember, you're not watching a television show. You're participating as well. So come on, pray with us right now, wherever you're at. Ask that question of God. God, what are you speaking to me? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.